when I was um, when I was a boy, we would gather around what we still call the wireless in Britain, the radio, because every week, a couple of times during the week, there'd be story time, and every time it would start the scene. Are you sitting comfortably? Then I'll begin. Oh, those are, I still got chills. Those are the greatest words in the world. Because now a story was going to be read just to us. And the greatest stories take place in our head. Have you ever gone to a movie and been disappointed? You know why? The story in your head was better than the story up there. Sometimes we don't appreciate the stories in our head. We'll start to read a book. And we'll think, ah, I don't, I don't, it's not interesting. That's because the story in your head is better than the story in the book. I love stories. I believe that stories are the second most powerful force in the universe. People, some people think facts are rubbish. Two people with facts thrown at each other convince nobody until somebody tells a story. Stories are the power. My wife and I a couple days ago went to see the new Star Wars movie because evidently it's mandatory. Uh, so we went to see it. And every time I start talking about this, there, we have Star Wars people here that get so, uh, oh, and they're so excited about this stuff. And, and they, they take what I say as a, um, as a negative. It's not a negative. Observation is not criticism. It's a fine story. It is. But as I watched it, I couldn't help but think, I've seen this story a lot. It's the Magnificent Seven, which is the seven, seven Samurai, which is, and you just keep going. They're only about 15 stories. Once you realize, and if you watch Hallmark Channel, there's only one. <laughs> and if you get tired of the Hallmark Channel where it always ends well, go to Lifetime Channel because they only have one story too. And never has there ever been a decent human male on the Lifetime channel. So you can watch that one. I love stories. I want, I want to tell you a story. You know, all of us have, every nation has a mythology. Every family has a mythology. Nations' mythologies might concern gods or great heroic figures. They might be folk tales like a Paul Bunyan in, in America. They're always exciting. They're always full of power. But there's a story I want to tell you. And it's a story I've told you before, with well, some of you, because it's a story I've told often. It was the first lesson I taught here. The week after they announced that they'd hired me, we came across from Colorado for a visit, and I told you this story. Well, we've got a lot more members since then, so this might be new to some of you. For the rest of you, don't think, oh, it's a rerun. You watch them all the time. Sometimes they have a different name on them, but it's the same story, so hang in there. And besides, you've already done the collections. too late to get it back. No refunds. We don't do refunds here. The story begins like all great stories. I couldn't help but think of this. Is, uh, the little video before the kids were speaking was rolling up there, and I was thinking, I wonder if we have anybody here with reader's anxiety. You know who you are, because you're the ones that when words are scrolling on a screen, you begin to panic. Remember the first Star Wars movie, those of you that are that old? As it starts, it all starts going away from you. You had best read it quickly, because you know, you're going to be lost now. 
Well, our story starts very similar. Most good stories start this way. In the beginning, long time ago, far away from where we are today, once upon a time, and then something happened. We see a force moving in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, a mighty force, weaving a, a universe into being. Oh, it just bothers me to pieces when people try to make this some sort of a dry scientific text. Genesis 1 is a poem of the great artist making everything. And he is an artist. He loves design. He loves color. He's God. Look at the names we give him. Maker, creator, almighty, covenant God, king of kings, lord of lords, lord of hosts, father. What an amazing creature. We know he's an artist because look what he made. Strictly speaking, most of what he made is not necessary. Um, he could have made the animal and the plant. The animal eats the plant. We eat the animal. He's done Monday noonish, but instead, look what he does. He doesn't make a cloud. He makes lots of clouds. He put, makes them all shapes. He doesn't make a flower. He makes all kinds of flowers. He doesn't make one creature. He makes all kinds of creatures. And when he has stuff left over, he makes a platypus. He makes, he makes things, a three-toed sloth. And then he kind of was running low on toes. So two-toed sloths come out next. It, and it's, it's a brilliant and a wonderful thing. We see him surrounded by his angels in glory. But then we see a problem. One of the angels, one of the mighty ones, distrusted God, distrusted his wisdom, he rebelled against the plan, and sentence was passed. Now, why would an angel do that? I don't know. But the Bible hints from time to time, and I've got an idea that Satan saw the beauty and the wonder and the power of God, and then saw these little creatures he made that were seemingly not much more significant than the dirt they were standing on. And then he hears the plan that God is going to become like one of them, serve them, love them, die for them, and then bring them up and make them higher than the angels. And that the devil never has believed in you. The devil has never believed in you. The devil believes you only like God because God keeps pouring out the blessings. And as soon as God stops the blessings, you're not going to follow God anymore. In fact, oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job, and that's where that discussion starts, where he says, they only like you because you give them stuff. They're not worthy. Well, the rebellion was widespread. The Bible says a third of the angels fell. Now, don't start getting American modernistic thinking here and think, ooh, a third. A third doesn't mean 33%. It means a lot, but not most. You have a lot of enemies, but you have more for you than against you. And we need to remember this. Some of the mighty ones were chained. We don't really know what that means in 2 Peter chapter 2 and Jude, verse 6. All we know is that God has decided that some of them are too powerful to leave loose among us. Whether they are physically separated from us somehow, or whether they are limited in what they can do, I don't know. But somehow they are chained. But some were not. Some roam free. One of the things I would teach my kids early on, 
remember, we are not alone in the universe. And not everything out there likes you. Be prepared. The fallen one. Well, he has a lot of names too, so let's look at those. He's called dragon, liar, slanderer, beast, destruction, obliteration, lord of the flies, annihilation, tempter. He's pictured as a seven-headed dragon. Doesn't mean he actually has seven heads. What it means is he is totally 100% evil and totally 100% against you. He can seem like he's for you. He can say, just take this and you'll be happy. Next thing you know, you're an addict, you've lost everything. Just go here, that will make you happy. You go there, next thing you know, you've lost your family, you've lost your home. Or just eat this and you'll get smarter and you've lost paradise. He is opposed to us never on our side, and he appears in battle against the faithful. He's convinced that you will not love God, that you are not worthy of God's love, and he is dedicated to proving it every day that you're not worthy of God. The devil and his angels quickly took control on earth. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, we have more absolute words in one verse than we do in any other verse in Scripture. In the original Hebrew, I'm not going to speak the Hebrew, but in the English translation of the original, it says every thought and every imagination of every person's heart was only evil continually. Wow. They took control. They took control of everything God had just made all the beauty of the earth is now his. So God counters with the flood. And see, here's where the story surprises me. Stories rarely surprise me. And I, I don't say that bragging. I say that with great sadness. I read so many stories that it's one of those early on I see the pattern. Ah, I know where this one's going. And I love it when a story surprises me, but this one really surprises me. God makes the world. He loves the world. He says, this is good. And he counters by destroying it. God says, I wish I'd never done it. We're going to start over. And he, he tells the story in an odd way. You know, think about it. And the way we do it, it's always like the old movie Western Shane where the guy that you don't expect has any power, he's the, the, the butt of jokes, is really the gunfighter, really the Navy SEAL, really the whatever, and boy, you're in trouble now. No. God goes to... How would you destroy the world if you were going to destroy the world? Oh, I've seen the movies. It can be done. Not the way God does it. He goes and finds the world's worst carpenter. It takes this guy a hundred years to build a box. Because that's what the ark is. The word ark means box. He even gives it to him. It's going to be square. Just, you don't have to do fancy bits on the end. Not a pointy bit, not a, you know, sterns and afts and all that. You don't have to do all that. Box. I've had people say to me after, they'll say, no, it took him that long to gather the animals. He didn't gather the animals. 
The Bible says God gathered the animals. I had a feeling God was watching him build the, the box and going, okay, we, we got to do the animals. A hundred, and not only is he a bad carpenter, he's the world's worst preacher. He preached for a hundred years, and the only people who came to church were his family. We don't even know if all of them did. I've had people say, no, the Bible says his sons. doesn't say all of them. It could have been all of them. We don't know. He finally puts them all together. He says, get in the box. They get in the box. And then God sends the rain, and he breaks the, the, the plates of the earth so that water comes from below as well. And the great continents begin to split, and the world is forever irrevocably changed. I didn't see that coming. And I want you to get a phrase in your head. Move, counter move. Move, counter move. That's the story of Scripture, but it's also the story of your life. Move, counter move. And every single day, move, counter move. This is not just the story. It is our story. It's your story. So God counter moves. Now, if you're the devil, what would you do after that? I will answer the question for me. I would give up. I would say, good point. You seem more invested in this than I thought. The devil didn't. After the flood, we don't know how soon after, Noah gets literally drunk, naked, and stupid. And the devil is the one who started that. He divides the family. Remember that, this coming time when your family that you've been avoiding for a year shows up. As soon as the divisions start in the conversations, remember who is the father of division. And don't let him win that argument. Don't let him. Counter move. But I get away from our story. The dragon went right for Noah's heart. If he can't get the planet, he'll get the hearts of the people on the planet. So God eventually, by the way, the world goes back into darkness. So God counter moves. How would you do that? I know how I would do it, but God surprised me again. He goes to the capital city, the most modern city of the day, a city named Ur, which I would have loved to have been in that committee meeting. What are we going to name it? Er, okay. <laughs> I love quick move, uh, meetings with fast, bad decisions. So Ur of the Chaldees. And he finds a guy named Abram who's never heard of God, doesn't know who God is, and says, I'm taking you out of here. By the way, city of the Ur, they worship the moon goddess named Sin. Who'd have seen that coming? He went, to, he went to the headquarters of sin and found a guy and said, let's go to the desert. Leave everything behind. I'm going to give you something else. And the guy fails every stage of the way. Every stage of the way, Abraham, Abram at that time fails. The devil counters with fear, armies, family, division. But God keeps countering, true to his covenant, protecting his people. The Old Testament can seem quite violent. There are a couple reasons for that. It is quite violent, because life is quite violent. C.S. Lewis, in a famous speech given to the pacifist society, 
his speech was entitled, Why I Am Not a Pacifist. And it, you boil it all, you read the speech, it's brilliant, but you boil it all down to, it isn't heaven yet. And we will be fighting until heaven comes. And this is right in the beginning of World War II that he gave the speech. Well, God has got to keep this line alive. Think about it. The devil knows God's plan is to deliver a savior through the line of David. So what would you do if you were the devil? You'd kill the line of David. And so time after time, he throws everything he's got against the line of David. God has to counter. He's got to save them. Abram, the whole family, eventually is established in one area. The devil sends a famine. God countermoves and takes him down to Egypt. The devil countermoves. He changes the government of Egypt. The Bible says it rather obliquely. It says, There arose a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph. If you know history, you know it's more complicated than that. Egypt was actually conquered. It was invaded and conquered. A whole other people became Pharaoh. And care who the Jews were. Made them slaves. So God countered again. The, the, we, we often don't understand this, but the plagues of Egypt were God fighting the demons who called themselves gods over Egypt. They worshipped the sun. He blotted it out. They worshipped cattle. I know. He gave them sores. He, they worshipped the river Nile. He turned it to blood. They worshipped the frogs. They really did. It was a capital offense to kill a frog. So God said, you like frogs? He sent them so many frogs they couldn't move without stepping on frogs. He showed him who's in charge. And then he said, let's go. He leads them out as a nation. They went in as a family, became slaves. God counters. They go out as a nation. It's amazing. And then he gives them laws. He gives them ceremony. He brings them through the water, which, by the way, that one has always fascinated me. I've seen the movies, but... The whole idea of, all right, the water is part, let's walk in it now, doesn't seem safe to me. Has OSHA checked this out? Are we sure the contractor was licensed? But you go through it, then it leads them to a mountain. The mountain is shaking, it's covered with cloud, lightning and thunder, flying out everywhere. And finally, trumpet sounds and dead silence. And people are terrified. They hear a voice. It is the voice of the God they had forgotten. He says, Moses, come up here. I want to talk with you. Why don't you think about that? What did Moses think? What was going through his mind every step up that mountain, knowing when he got to the top, he would be absolutely alone with God? Here's the thing, people. One of these days, you'll know exactly what that feels like. Because one of these days, he's going to call your name. Well, Moses gets up to the top. You would have thought the devil would quit by now, but the devil's too invested in this. So while Moses is at the top with God, the devil's down at the bottom getting them to say, you know what would be really cool? Worshiping cows. I think they should worship cows now. And they start worshiping cows. And if you think, how can they be so stupid? People, look in mirrors. We are too. We do the same thing. Well, Moses comes down, sees what's happened there. Moses becomes the most wicked man ever in the history of the world because he breaks all Ten Commandments, same time. Then, it's in the Bible. 
It's in the Bible. God sends him back up and gives him the law again and writes a whole bunch of other stuff too. Comes back down. It's always move, counter move. The devil decides he's got to throw some armies against them. The dragon roars. He sends the Philistines, the giant Goliath, the Canaanites, the Moabites, the Hittites, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, the Greeks. And in the darkest days of all, he sent Antiochus IV, a monster, a madman, a Greek leader whose atrocities I cannot begin to say without giving X-rated warnings to the room. He almost destroyed the Jewish race because that was what he wanted to do. He stripped out everything holy from their temples. He took all of their treasure and gold. He put his images and his altars in the temple. He sacrificed pigs there and spread the blood around so the no Jew would walk back in. The temple was gone. But you know what the real blow was? That most of the people went along with him because he was the power. He was the rich one. He was the persuasive one. They went with him. They seemed to want to be up to date and modern. They even traded away the priesthood for popularity contest. So God counters again with a group, a family, named Hammer, Maccabee. Judas Maccabees is the one we remember most, but the whole family. They rose up and led a guerrilla movement against Antiochus that eventually drove the Greeks out of Jerusalem. They entered the temple, realized this has to be rededicated, but the rules are you have to light candles and they have to be lit for eight days. And we don't have enough oil. He's taken away our stuff. We only have enough oil for one day. And Judas Maccabees, the hammer, told them, light them anyway. And the Jews to this day celebrate the Feast of Lights, Hanukkah, by lighting the candles to show God was faithful, the temple was cleansed, but the devil's not done. He countermoves, gets rid of the Greeks. If they're not going to help him, gets rid of them. And grabs the Romans, and the Romans come in. I want to step back a minute here and ask to ask, why was the devil so successful? If in history you always know God's going to countermove, why is the devil so successful? It's because he has a weapon, a trump card, death, the ticking of a clock. That is a weapon which nobody could take from the devil because it always worked, always. Death makes people then and now rush to get all of their joy, all of their meaning, all of their purpose right now. We don't have patience for heaven. We don't have patience with God's gifts. It's got to be now. That's why Coles is having a sale this weekend that's two days only. That's why Penny's is having a sale this weekend that's Saturday and Sunday only. Of course, Monday, they'll have another one that's only Monday through Wednesday. But why does it work? Because they put limits on it. We've done the studies. Used to be a shrink. We've done the studies. Why does Kroger do 10 for 10? Because you sell more 
than if you just price them that low without a number limiting you. In fact, one example, in the soup aisle, if you walk in the soup aisle and there is no sign, just a sale, the average consumer that is buying soup buys two cans. It's actually slightly less than two cans. If you put a sign on, same price, sign above says limit five, the average consumer will buy four cans. The devil always wants you to think it's limited, the time is over, your joy's running out, you'd better go get what you need to get because God's not supplying it. Same, same thing he told Adam and Eve. He who dies with the most toys wins. It can't get better than this. And if that doesn't work, Ecclesiastes. Death makes people apathetic. What's the point? You, you work, you die, what's the point? You build, it falls down, what's the point? So either it makes you panicky or apathetic, and nobody could take death away. So children were left untaught. Nations fell. The dragon kept that weapon close to him, the weapon of death. And nobody could be found to go get it from him. So God invaded. If you were God, how would you invade? This story keeps surprising me. Because if I was God, I know how I'd do it. Because I've read the Old Testament. One angel in one night killed over 180,000 warriors. Bring some angels. Sort them out. It's not the way God does it. God invades rubble-held territory by sending angels to say, peace, we've got this. And putting a baby in a barn born to a not-quite-married young teenager girl who's away from home at the time. Is that the way you would have done it? Or has this story surprised you? Revelation 12, and verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, well, before we get there, when I grew up, I grew up in a harsh religion. We weren't allowed to celebrate Christmas. We weren't allowed to have anything to do with it. We couldn't sing the songs. We couldn't watch the shows. If somebody sent us a card, we had to send it back unopened. If somebody gave us a prezi, present, we had to give it back because we were righteous people, and we didn't do that sort of thing. Cammie, her family starts decorating around June. <laughs> when, when we got married, there were some adjustments to be made. She starts singing Christmas songs. I'm thinking, I'm married a pagan. <laughs> oh, no. Our children will probably be tattooed little monsters that sacrifice chickens in the backyard. <laughs> and only some of that happened. Um... When I fell in love with Christmas, I fell in love the whole way. I cannot be left unsupervised after October 15th. I will buy too much. Not for me. I like giving stuff to people, trying to make them like me. No, that's not it. Um, I learned the joy of it, and I love the songs, and I'll listen to Trans-Siberian Orchestra in the middle of the summer, and I'll roll down the windows so that you can too. <laughs> It tickles me that one of these days there are going to be two old people on the front of a nursing home porch. Out on the road in front of them is going to be a jeep, all blacked out. 
at the stoplight, vibrating, going <coughs> like that. Right? And the old man's going to turn to the old woman and say, it's our song. <laughs> it's going to happen. I love nativity scenes. And as soon as you see them, some self-righteous person always has to go, oh, there weren't three kings. I know, shut up. <laughs> well, the wise men didn't show up at the nativity. It took them two years to get there, and they came to, I know, go away. Look, something shiny. They always have to parse everything about it. Don't do that. Enjoy. This is a good story. But it's even better than you think. Because you go by the nativity scene, there is, there's some missing players. Revelation 12, the Bible says a woman cries out to give birth. But that child will rule the nations, but there's an enemy in the barn. A dragon shows up at the birth. And he reaches out because the devil knows the only way to stop this plan is to stop the Savior. So he reaches out his claw to crush the head of the little baby. But there's somebody else in the barn. Michael is there. Uh-oh. I've not, I may have seen angels. I think I, I've seen some things which I could say were angelic, but um, if ever an angel showed up in my room and said, hi, I'm an angel, after I, I, I quit fainting, my first question would be, what's your name? Because if it's Gabriel, good news. If it's Michael, I'm done. It's over. Michael shows up. And from then on, there is war in heaven. You don't go for God's son. I'm, I'm kind of a nice person. Time to time. You catch me right. I like to shoot, but I've never even hunted. It's not a part of my culture. Um, only rich English guys get to hunt, and so we didn't do that. But I, I don't mind it, not opposed to it. Um, I don't know why you hunt deer. Hunting cattle seems to be so much easier. Um, <laughs> don't have to do tree stands or anything. Just walk up to them. Okay. Boom. Um, I've, I don't ever want to shoot anybody at all, ever. But if you were to come into my house after my children, my personality would change. Now, I'm not going to tell you I'd turn into a Superman. I'm not trying to do fantasies here. But I would do everything I could to stop you. I would not be a nice person. I think most people understand that. Do you know it? You don't go after my kid. My kid now is a six-foot-five Marine, but I still don't go after my kid. He went after God's son. That was a bad mistake. There was war in heaven, and Jesus would later say, I saw Satan kicked out of heaven. What? What? He was in heaven? Yeah, God led him in and out through the whole thing. Read Job. Until then, now you're gone. It's over. But in Revelation 12, the Bible says, that war threw the devil and his angels out, but then it warns, woe to those of you on the earth 
because he's come to you. He's coming after you. Move counter moves. Throughout history, the devil's been safe in his lair. That weapon of death has never been taken from him. And so, one day, Jesus, grown up now, young man in his 30s, decided it was time to go after him. It was time to disarm the devil. I'm going to step away now so that you can bring your, your group back up. We're not quite done yet, so don't get excited. Throwing on your coats and leaving. The young man Jesus saw the mob at the bottom of the hill. And he stood up, and the devil didn't understand the counter move. He was coming to kill Jesus. He didn't see what Jesus was doing. Jesus walks down to them, and he says, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And they, he said, that's me. The Bible says they fell down trying to get away from him. So he walked out to them again, which means they scattered. He found them again. He said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, that's me. What was he doing? He was walking away from his friends so his friends would not be taken. Even that moment, he was saving you. The devil thought he won. He grabbed him. He threw everything he had at the Son of God. You want to suffer for these people? I'll let you suffer. You'll be insulted. You'll be stripped naked, humiliated in front of the entire people. You will be beaten until you lose control of your bladder and bowels. People, that happens every single time. You will be beaten until you cannot be recognized or speak clearly. Teeth will be knocked out of your head. Jaw shattered. Eyes puffed over. Then we're going to nail you to a tree. You want to suffer for these people? What he didn't understand was he was falling right into the trap. Jesus had him right where he wanted him. Because as he pulled himself up on those nails, he cried out, it is finished. It's an interesting Hebrew expression, Aramaic actually, which can also be interpreted the same way Todd Beamer's expression over Pennsylvania was. Let's go. Let's do this. Where did Jesus go for those days? I've had people say, well, he went to heaven. No, he didn't. When Mary hugged him later, he said, I've not yet ascended to my father. Well, where, where was he? Well, Peter says he was preaching to the spirits in prison, and you know what that means? I don't either. Nobody does. What we know is this. He disarmed the devil during that period. He went into death, which nobody had done before, for the express purpose of stealing death from the devil. Then he comes to us, comes back to his people, and he said, look, look at the scars. The devil can hurt you, but he can't kill you anymore. Death's over. The ticking clock is not your enemy. This week, I turned 60, and I've had several people do the over-the-hill thing, and one sweet lady, and I've been over the hill far before tonight, today. I was, I'm quite used to it. I can see the tunnel. It looks lovely. Um, they, with my family, there are no relatives waving at me. But anyway, the point is, 
um, had a lady this morning say, I'd rather be over the hill than under it. And I appreciated what she was a sweet lady. I understood what she said. My response was, you know, I'm okay either way. I'm all right. God wants to take me now. My wife will just save a whole bunch of money on nursing home fees and lawyers because I'm probably still going to do something stupid. I'm okay because this isn't my real life. I got another life coming. I'm going to be so much more handsome. I've asked God if I can wear a name tag so that you can tell it's me. <laughs> he launched himself into the void. With his hands, he disarmed the, de- the devil. Would you stand, please? From this day forward, we have been given commands. Fear not and love all. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid you're going to mess out, not get all the nice stuff. That's coming. That's coming. In the meantime, it is move, counter move. Watch for it. Look for it. It will happen yet today in every person's life that's in this room. But those without fear will join him in living eternally if they continually move toward God. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you say it with me? Come, Lord Jesus. I look forward to celebrating Advent with you this Saturday and next Sunday. God bless us. As little tiny Tim said, everyone.